Hello and welcome back to the F24 podcast. My name is David. And well, it seems like every two weeks or so currently, I either go to meet or get an artist over to my studio in North Acton to talk about their lives and interactions with London, culture and creativity. This week, with another honour. This guy's prop was in my manor of Kilburn, Northwest London, and Edgware Road, where I used to hang out in the late 80s, early 90s, ever since I could read graffiti. And that was from Young. And when I started writing in 95, the from what I thought was an SM throw up was amazing, unique, one line greatness executed every time I studied it. Knowing it had been in my vision since the 80s, but you don't really study it properly then. It's later on when you yourself paint. I knew it was important to look at these tags and throw ups and really see the excellence and mastery of a tool and a dope form of hieroglyph. It was that what I thought was an SM throw up and ups throw ups that I really loved as a kid and did for so many years. It was only in the mid-2000s when I found out that SM throw-up, that was iron. It wasn't an S with an M on top, it was irons. I first met him outside Petro's paint store in Brighton. Probably like 2000, 2001. It was summer. And he put up a sticker with iron in block letters repeated at 45 degrees, black on pink. I knew him as a train painter, killer full colour whole cars. I was obviously chuffed to meet him and I already knew the style Don Petro and it's always great seeing him. But I wonder how much I would have geeked out had I known that Fraup was Irons as well. Watching what Iron did in the following years was crazy. I think we all thought that. His transition into art, street art wasn't even a term then. Doing things that we hadn't seen done before, a name associated and placed in rooms and galleries that London writers hadn't really reached yet. We get to hear all about that. Ben brings us back to London in the 80s and tells us about his early years and meeting like-minded others. We talk about travelling, clubbing, train parties, painting and the beginning of his road to alphabet paintings and shutters meeting Banksy and the start of Pictures on Walls and everything that came after that, from learning to print on the job to having a painting given to President Obama. Another great chat. Proper lucky guy I am. I visited Ben in his studio in South London and as we talked, he painted a canvas, which was dope. Go and check him at Iron Signs on Instagram whilst you listen. Enjoy it. There's some gems in this one. This is F24. Yeah, they've got a huge, great big tent and loads of local Henley artisans are doing stuff and for some fucking weird reason, they've got me down there. Nice. So, uh... Is yeah. this work for that? No, no. Uh, everything for Henley went down there yesterday. So it actually opened yesterday. Oh, yeah. And, uh... And it's on until Sunday evening. And I'm down there. I go down there tomorrow... Uh, for the day, and uh, I've got this huge, great big S sculpture that we made for my Star Wars space show. Oh, wow! And that's been it's six foot tall and weighs a fucking like a ton. It's made out of steel and aluminium. It's about to oh, steel and aluminium, yeah. It's fucking beautiful. I'll show you a picture of it. Yeah, so that's on show with artwork. Yeah, so I've got a load of paintings. Uh, and then a few like glittery big pieces, and then. Will you be the only artist in this vein down there? Yeah, I remember this piece. Yeah, that is amazing. So yeah, that's that's going to be in Henley. Is it going to be outdoors or indoors? Uh, it's in a huge, great big tent. Yeah. Will this piece be indoors? Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh. it's going to be in. It's going to be in the tent. Yeah. Bang it, man! Will that be a nice yeah. weekend? Yeah. Dope. And um, so, obviously, I've been a. I know your previous history to you doing this a bit. Uh huh. And I'm quite intrigued about what, what it was that got you into that and then about your transition from that into 
being an artist of sorts. So what got me into graffiti... Yeah, where are you from? Me? I am from London. I was born in St Thomas's Hospital in Southwark. Oh. Central, central. Central, right opposite the House of the Parliament. Yeah. So, yeah, proper, proper Londoner. <clears throat> and then how did you find this culture, or that culture? I found graffiti through uh, Subway Art. Yeah? I suppose, like, anyone my age that's into graffiti... Discovered that book. that book, yeah, and that did it basically. And what was it? What was going on? In, was it same in school, like with all your mates and that? Was it yeah. a school thing? Yeah, it was. I just, you know, I just wanted to be part of this kind of like this crew, and this crew was breakdancing, kind of trying to rap, and an element of that was graffiti. Yeah, you know, it was the three parts of. The original hip hop culture. This is early eighties then. Yeah. Yeah. And I couldn't, I couldn't break dance to save my life. Yeah. And I had a really vague interest in art, and I enjoyed running away, and I was a cheeky <laughs> little shit. <laughs> so graffiti was just like the perfect hobby for me. Yeah. And Do you uh, how old you were when you first kind started? Of Fourteen, fifteen. Yeah. And then yeah, went down to the local fucking car spare shop and. Nick some car plan paint and Lovely. tried to do, tried to replicate the scene hand of doom top to bottom old car. <laughs> it's your first painting. Oh, no, no, probably not. But yeah. that, that's, what, that's what the goal was. Yeah. You know, our, well, my goal was to paint a train top to bottom whole car whereby you could look at photographs of this thing and you didn't know it was on a train. You'd have to double take. Yeah. Maybe you'd clock the wheels and be like, oh, my God, it's a train. But that that was my goal. That was what I wanted to do. And is that because that's what you saw? You saw the first thing was that fucking hell, massive piece of art. And, yeah. oh, shit, it's on a train. Yeah, well, just, you know, looking at those, you know, the fold-out pages in Subway yeah. Art and just looking at those top-to-bottom hole cars and just being like, fucking hell, man. What is it's going just, on? Just, yeah. Like, trying to get my head round, there was this place called New York, and in this place... There were kids painting this stuff on the side of trains. And it just blew my mind. And I was just like, can you imagine if that, one of those trains, rolled f- through Edgware Road on the circle line? It was like, it's fucking incredible. Yeah, amazing. So, yeah. That's... What was London like then in those what years? Was Do you like? remember it? Do you remember walking around age 14, 15 and taking in what this city was compared to New York? I know you didn't know what New York was. London just seemed, compared to the images that I was looking at of New York, London just seemed so much more proper, so much more cup of tea and regimented. And then you look at those photographs of, you know, burnt-out houses in, like, the Bronx and... You know, Harlem and just like... Whole lots completely. Yeah, yeah, and just graffiti and gangs and... Yeah, that just felt like so dangerous and exciting mm. compared to, you know... You know, the Queen's Silver Jubilee where street <laughs> parties and bunting <laughs> yeah, and yeah, yeah. Okay, you. And it just... Yeah, London felt like that compared to, like, just kids <clears throat> jumping out of burnt-out windows onto stacks of mattresses yeah. and... 
tanks, fire extinguishers, etc. But when did it? There must have come a point then when you started writing where it became apparent London was a bit like that. Yeah. You know, as I, you know, I'm, I'm making that comparison yeah, looking back. Quite lightly, I know what you yeah. mean, though. Uh, yeah, London was definitely like that, you know, to some degree. There was, you know, as soon as you started immersing yourself into that yeah. graffiti culture, and, you know, there was, it took quite a few years from going from looking at the book mm-hmm. and stealing two cans of car plan and just making this drippy mess on the side of a wall in an underpass compared to, you know, a few years later, you know, actually sitting in a bush in a train yard. Yeah. Watching the cleaners. You know, there was... It, yeah, there was a quite a few years between... Yeah, they do... It does take a minute, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, you know, I didn't under... I didn't know anything about graffiti. I didn't know any... I didn't know any other writers, really. I didn't... I'd never thought about where they laid the trains up. Mm. You People think that was a fact, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. It, you know, it, it doesn't even come into your head. Oh, what, what happens to them when they stop running? Where do they go? So, you know, it took quite a few years to kind of discover that information and also quite a few years to actually to learn about paint and learn about nozzles and, you know, work out, you know, what were the good colours in certain brands because it's like, not so much now, but... Back then, you'd have a brand of paint and two colours in that range were yeah. all right and yeah. everything else was shit. So it took a long time and it involved meeting other writers and, you know, getting schooled by them. Uh, but, yeah, London, you know, when you kind of like... When you actually, you know, peeled back the veneer and actually looked... looked yeah, when you looked for it, finding elements of London that were like those photographs of New York. It mm. was definitely there. Yeah, yeah. It's nuts how that... Because it, it does... It, obviously, you don't think of it when you first start, of the griminess of it all and what the capability of what's here, but it doesn't take too long after that when that journey starts, I suppose, does it? No, and, you know, it was fucking exciting. Yeah. And it turned me on. And it was like... It was adrenaline. And, you know, as soon as you start discovering it, you know, you meet other writers and, you know, you start... You no, you you notice graffiti. Mm. Like, I remember being on the train and just seeing, you know, Robbo tags and PIC tags. And then you notice them on the other side of London. And you notice them there and you're like... Fuck. You're like, how do they get up onto this train yard? You know, how do <laughs> they get up onto the tracks? What time do they do it? Yeah. You know, and you just think, how close is the train to the... You know, how dangerous is this? It's like, I need to find out all this information... What was um? What were you doing as Ben at, the, at that time in school? How was that going? School was. Yeah. Uh, I was kind of like I was quite I was quite smart, yeah. but I was a, a little shit. So you weren't Mouthy. doing yourself any favours in there. No. Yeah. You know, I was I was good at the subjects that I enjoyed doing, and the other subjects I couldn't be bothered with, and I was a mouthful little shit. And I remember, you know, I just went to like a shit comprehensive school. And one of my teachers, because I was just so mouthy for like three years, my mm. teacher, I wanted to do O-level, I think it was in geography or maths, one of them, and the teacher was like, you're not doing O-level. He's like, I know, you're gonna, I know you can pass, but you've made my life hell for oh three years. God. So he was like, no. So 
Uh, and I was my birthday is at the end of August, so I was the youngest kid in yeah. in my year. Uh, so I left school at fifteen before my sixteenth birthday mm. with like a couple of CSEs, and then I stayed on into the sixth year, so I could do my O levels when everybody else was doing their O level retakes. Right. So I stayed on the sixth year, and I did O level. Maths, English, Geography and Technical Graphics and then passed all three of those. But as soon as I finished the exams, I was like, I was living with my parents and I was probably just turned 16 and I was like, I don't want to live with my parents anymore. I was doing graffiti. I don't think I'd been raided by the police yet. I think, or maybe I'd been nicked. No, I'd been, I think I'd been nicked once. But anyway, my parents knew that I was doing graffiti they didn't like the fact that I had fucking loads of spray paint around my house. You know, it was annoying them. Uh, so I wanted to get out of home as, as early as possible. And I had no concept of what I wanted to do as a job. Yeah. So uh, I basically, I bought a suit, probably went to Top Man, bought a suit and a shirt and a tie, and went to, uh, went to some employment agencies. Because again, this was before the internet and before Fucking, you could just go online and get yeah, a job. before any help like yeah. that. <laughs> so you physically had to walk into this place, which was an employment agency, and say, hi, I've got four O-levels, want a job. And, uh, yeah, they got me some interviews, and I got a job working for a firm of solicitors called Birkbeck Montague that were at the bottom of uh, Fleet Street. To do what? I was just a postboy, just, yeah. just a fucking, you know, delivering letters hand-delivering legal documents around the temples yeah. and the Lincoln's Inns. And, yeah, just generally just a gopher. Yeah. And what were you thinking about life? Not, I know it's a bit deep, deep question. No, not but at What all. were you thinking about life then? Like, right, I'm, out, I'm trying to get out of my parents' house. I'm blatantly painting this graffiti because I love it, but I need to work. Like, what are you just thinking... This life, uh, working, getting myself somewhere else to live, I can continue painting. Yeah, basically, I wasn't really thinking anything. No. Apart from, I want to paint. Uh, I don't really want to sell weed. Uh, I want to paint. I don't want to live with my parents. I need money. And I wasn't an idiot, so it just made perfect sense. Get a job, move out, have money. And that enables me to do anything I want in my time. Yeah. Were your parents quite strict? No, not, not really. really. So it was, yeah, you, you said actually, it was, they were just a bit pissed off by the amount of pain yeah. or whatever. But... And, you know, I didn't want to fucking annoy them no. more, than, more than I had to. Yeah. And, uh, do you have older brothers or sisters? Any younger? I, no, younger brother. Younger brother? Yeah, one So it's not as brother. if you were looking up to someone to make the decision. You were like, no. I'll make these decisions. Yeah. yeah, so I got a job working for this firm of solicitors as just like a gopher, postboy, t-boy. But I had a job, and really quickly, we I worked out a swindle, whereby, God, I probably I was this job I was probably earning like something like twelve grand a year, <laughs> and I remember like once once every two weeks they'd give you like stacks of luncheon vouchers. Yeah, nobody even knows what a luncheon voucher is Those anymore. Are the days. <laughs> <laughs> you get a pack of luncheon vouchers, you get fucking cheap sandwiches for lunch. And I think they paid half to, or they'd give you a loan for a travel card or something. But yeah, really quickly I worked out this swindle whereby, like, some legal documents had to be sent 
you know, basically signed for and tracked. Yeah. But you could fill out a petty cash form and get the petty cash, charge it to the solicitor that was sending the document, but then run off the stamps on the franking machine in the office. <laughs> so really quickly, I was earning like an extra 45 quid a day yes. <laughs> by doing this swindle. So, yeah, I was quite happy. That made life really yeah, nice. It made life, it made life a lot easier. And, you know, I was walking around London in a suit and a tyre with marker pens in my hand. Yeah. And getting tubes and buses here and there, and you know, it was a bit like fucking tacky. You know, yeah. I was travelling around Especially London. Especially in the centre of it as well. Yeah, wearing a suit and a tie. And then, so I was there for a few years. Did you meet other writers by then? Were you? Well, we were going, and this is like there was so many like different kind of aspects to my life that are all kind of like weirdly opposites. My cousin Nick, uh, he was a bit older than me. And he'd, he'd done a bit of modelling, but he was kind of into fashion and partying. And he was dating this girl called Siobhan. And Siobhan was boy George's sister. Wow. And Nick was like... You know, and I was also into, I was also really into clothes. We were always, like, going down the King's Road and... Uh, fucking Kensington Market. And there was a shop there called Hyper Hyper and... There was a shop called Weld just off Charing Cross Road that you used to be able to get fat gold rope chains from and Sick. then, yeah, racking shit from Vivian Westwood. <laughs> so it was, it was also really into fashion and just, you know, looking like we wanted to look like kind of B-boys and, you know, we were into skateboarding a bit. So it was like, you know, that skateboarding B-boy writer stereotypical look, but then... Yeah. That mixed with like Vivian Westwood and wow. you know inspired by Malcolm McLaren and remember we you know I can't remember this is all like different years but yeah having like Vivian Westwood free tongue trainers with the square toes and the platform soles like Malcolm McLaren from Buffalo Stars yeah Buffalo Girls and so yeah mixing it all up so yeah we were going out to clubs and yeah my cousin Nick was going out with Siobhan so Nick phoned me up and he's like oh, you've got to go to this club called The Mud Club. Uh, one of Boy George's old boyfriends runs it, a guy called Phil Salon. He was like, I'll get you on the list. And it was like the local pub that we'd go to. Because oh, I looked like a fucking... I looked like a child, which is probably why Phil Salon let me into his clubs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I looked like a proper child. And so our local pub that all the kids used to go to wouldn't serve me because right. I looked so young. But then we'd get in the car and we'd drive up to, like, the mud was on top of Charing Cross Road. Uh, God, it's gone now. Uh, yeah. yeah, the top of Charing Cross Road. And we'd drive up to the mud club, first time, all dressed up, bullshit. And a uh, big queue of people trying to get into the club and just walked up to the front and saw this guy. It was just like that fucking weirdo. And I was like, that must be Philip Salon. <laughs> so I was like, I feel, I was like, Siobhan's put us on the list. And he was like, oh, you Ben, blah, blah, blah. And then, yeah, just walked straight in. Amazing. And we never paid to get into the mud... We never queued up to get into the mud club. And straight up, Dorothy. Started going there every week. And then we'd go to a club called Raw, which was underneath the old YMCA, or the YMCA... Yeah, the YMCA. On Tottenham Court, Court Road. Yeah. So I think Raw was on a Friday night, and then Mud was on a Saturday night, or the other way round, and then... There was another club called City of Angels. So we, we were going to clubs, 
working in the daytime and then started meeting writers in clubs. I remember meeting Drax and all of those people and then Vogue and Abel and it just, apart from the job, it was all, we were all into music, graffiti, clothes and the same kind of clubs and you know, at the time, a lot of the, a lot of the clubs was playing like rare groove and funk and you know hip hop or electro. So we were all going, you know, attracted or drawn to and like quite the a same wide, kind of... wide group of you as well, yeah. then, covering all sides of different. Yeah, yeah, cultures. totally. And it was like at the time, you know, clubs finished at fucking yeah, most nightclubs finished at like two o'clock in the morning. Mm. So 2.30, 3 o'clock, everyone is at Trafalgar Square getting night buses, going back to, like, whatever part of London they're from. So you just met all the... Everyone's, you know, tagging at the bus stops. So you just meet people. And, yeah, by going out to clubs and getting night buses, different parts of London is, you know, how I met lots of writers. And then, you know, you meet someone and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm Drax, oh, yeah, I do this, throw up. And it's like, oh, yeah, I know you. Oh, yeah, we're going out with, you know... I used to come down Covent Garden Saturday daytimes. And, yeah, just started going out, meeting other artists, meeting artists, meeting other writers, and just slowly immersing myself deeper and deeper into, like... What did, What was it with the... Was, was it? Did you get that throw-up up a lot more before you met these people? Or you'd been up enough of the throw-up? Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. My old S throw-up was up a lot. Yeah, I mean, it was everywhere for many, many, yeah, many years. Yeah, for a fucking long time. For many, many years. All sides of London as well. Yeah, everywhere. Like, we just... I just loved... I, I still do. Street bombing is just fucking so much fun. It's the best. <laughs> it's the best. The best thing I've ever been introduced to, I think. Yeah. It's the best. Yeah. People knew you from the throw-up. Yeah. People knew who I was. So it wasn't like... You know, I meet writers now and they're like, oh, I write so-and-so, and I'm yeah. like... X. Yeah. Yeah. But then, yeah, when someone's like, oh, yeah, I'm this person, you're like, yeah, sweet, man, I've seen your stuff, it's cool. So those throw-up years, um, when you first started doing them, what you you knew to go all city with it. By that point, you had enough information about graffiti to say, right, I've, I've formulated yeah. this shape, it's an S throw-up, yep. I'm going to go and yeah, play this And this was all, like, basically spare time outside of work. Yeah. At work, you'd be walking around maybe with a pen. Yep. But then, and then night time. Night time. It was cans of paint. I remember we fucking we went through this stage of there was this stuff called rubber duck, mm. and it was for sealing gutters and drain pipes. So <laughs> if you got some big leaky, this stuff was like fucking like tar rubber. But the nozzle on it was like putting a hose pipe on a can of paint. <laughs> and we used to go and just rack any shit paint doesn't matter. Yeah, and just bomb with these fucking rubber duck duck nozzles and it was just like when you get like four throw-ups out of a can of paint (laughs) and it was just messing (sighs) yeah it's so loud but i just love doing throw-ups with that so uh yeah it's weird reminiscent shit was there um was there anyone you were looking at when you when you started going all city with your throw-up did was there anyone you were looking at trying to emulate or was it still subway art and no no by then like one of the most, uh, like, I wasn't, I really wasn't that interested. Like, when I, you know, my initial introduction to graffiti was I want to do a top to bottom whole car, yeah. like Hand of Doom or Dundee. Yeah. You know, that's what I wanted to do. But when I got into graffiti, I lost interest in uh, 
you know, wanting to be artistic mm. and doing something pretty. The vandalism side. I, was... Yeah, I loved vandalism. I loved fucking street bombing. I loved yeah. big, fat, messy throw-ups. So, yeah, Drax. In my mind, Drax was definitely the king of throw-ups in streets. Yeah. And he was the one to, like, right, I want to do more than Drax, which would have been fucking impossible. Mm. But, yeah, Drax was Good the person... Good one pers- to look at. Yeah. Definitely. You know, yeah. Well, the best to look at, to be yeah. honest, especially in those years. Yeah. So, yeah, Drax was the one. And it was like, if I'd see a Drax tag, I want to have my tag next to it. Or either side of it. And yeah, then one yeah. on the corner, one round the corner and one up the road. So, yeah... Wanting to, yeah, wanting to be more up than Drax. So I, I, I understood that you had to do... Well, the people that I noticed were the people that were up, and I gave them more respect when I'd see them in places that... Like, for example, if... First time I went to fucking Chingford and I saw a Drax tag, I was like, come <laughs> like, I love those times. Yeah, you're like, fuck. How the fuck? Yeah, and it's like, oh, you've been places I've... I've never been to. I've just got here for yeah, fuck's yeah. sake. <laughs> so that was the goal, just to put tags yeah. in. And even like, even nowadays, it's like, it's really nice when, you know, you get a message and someone's like, oh my God, I've just seen, you know, one of my walls in some random place. Or, or I remember someone like, someone climbed in some fucking mad place, climbing up the top of a volcano and seeing like an elk tag. And you're like... Yeah. in the middle of nowhere how the fuck yeah so I really liked I really liked you know bumping into bumping into tags of you know friends of mine in weird places and especially now we all travel yeah and even better you know and I've been travelling for years you know you've got tags fucking everywhere when did um, when did you start deciding trains and paintings were going to be a thing so I've been doing the S throw up for quite a while on streets and was up a lot. But Is that about seven to ten years or something? Yeah, something. It was a fucking long time. Yeah, but I've been nicked quite a lot. Right. Because like we were fucking, we were just going out. It got to the point where we were going out clubbing like four or five nights a week and just getting pissed quite a lot. And I, anyone will tell you drunk with cans of fucking some yeah cans of fucking something some strong booze <laughs> and cans of spray paint is just danger yeah it's fast track to a blue plastic mattress yeah it really is so yeah i've been nicked quite a lot for uh, for t- uh, doing the s throw up tagging on streets so i was kind of looking at maybe getting a different tag and then slowly getting kind of like learning more, becoming more interested about, you know, painting trains or painting tubes. At that time, not interested in painting British Rail, painting tubes. And I kind of felt like I'd been doing it for long enough for me to actually be able to do something all right. And then I'd been to a few uh, train parties where like 30 of you, 40 of you just get on tubes, circle line and little mat and just destroy the insides so I was meeting a lot more people that were doing tubes that weren't really doing stuff on streets because they wanted the tubes because they were tube riders they weren't they weren't necessarily like street bombers so I was like becoming more intrigued about you know painting trains 
And then, yeah, I started doing insides on tubes and it was just like, I can't do my fucking tag. You know, because if you're just doing streets, you don't think about BTP. No. Because at that time, they didn't have an interest in anything on streets because it was nothing to do with any transport systems. But the moment you start doing tubes, BTP are interested in you. And I was like... It becomes personal. Yeah, they take it personally. And they knew I was. And we'd, we'd, done, we'd been on a couple of tube parties, and at the time I was writing quite a lot with this guy called Mad... Mm. Old mate of mine, Simon. So we'd been on some tube parties, and one tube party got in the fucking, I think the Daily Mail. Wow. Did like a front page story on it. It was like a ticket to vandalise, because someone had printed out flyers for the tube parties. Someone had got nicked at the tube party, their house raided, and there was a flyer for a tube party. (laughs) Fuck. And yeah, the Daily Mail got hold of the story, and it was like, a ticket to vandalise, vandals cost £40,000 worth of damage on a rampage, and it's a great story. Yeah. But I was like, fuck, man. Uh, and That's then... So I'd been nicked quite a few times with Simon, and we'd put our tags up on the, on the tube party. So, yeah, British Transport Police came down to where we were living, and they knew... They knew Simon was one of these two tags, and they knew that I was one of these two tags, but they didn't know which one of us was which. (laughs) (laughs) So, luckily, they raided Simon, not me. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, they raided Simon, not me, and obviously he had fucking mad tags all over his bedroom. Was he at his parents? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so Simon got nicked for being mad and because they had him in the back of the car, they didn't come in and get me. They were happy with just the one. Yeah. So I was like, right, that's the last time I'm putting my fucking S-fro up on a tube. Uh, I need to get a new tag. And uh, I'd been hanging out with Abel WD quite a lot, Mm -hmm. just bumping into him a lot in clubs and going to the same kind of clubs and doing quite a bit of street bombing with him. And... Yeah, and he had yeah he had quite a lot of experience of tubes. He used to live up kind of Barking Way, so Barking, Upminster. He knew all those places. So we kind of started doing tubes, and I wasn't going to write, do my S throw up. And we started doing insides, and I started experimenting with different names. And I really wanted to tag the little panel above the windows or the doors. Yeah. Because when you stand up to get out the tube, you're yes. looking straight at that panel. And I really wanted to write a name on there. And I started writing one and Una and Ein and Ein fitted. So I was like, great, that's my tag, Ein. Wicked. Purely because it fitted this panel on the Is, door. So what, you've got it from another language then? It's yeah. Made up word, it's one, yeah. Yeah, it's German. It's German, it's German for, for the number one. Okay, of course it is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Ein, whatever it is, I don't know what two is in German. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so I started writing iron, and me and yeah, me and Abel literally hit every door on every carriage on every train on the Little Met and the Circle, and just started bombing really hard iron, but hardly ever writing it in the streets. Was this like '93? Fuck knows. I think it was '93. Yeah, from my photo recognition. Yeah, I've got no idea. But yeah, I started bombing iron really hard uh, with Abel. And then at some point bumped into Cherish 
and he was quite hated at the time. Well, he was always quite hated, but I kind of liked Cherish. Yeah. And then we started a little crew called BNB. Abel was in it, Dreff was in it, kid called Troc. And by this time, I had another job. I was working at Lloyd's of London, the insurance place. From just working around that area? Yeah. Well, yeah. basically, I, I think they were going ca- to They were going to catch us doing the fucking the post office franking machine swindle. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I left before I got sacked. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I got a job as uh, working in an office. I was actually doing something now. And again, before computers and Microsoft, so kind of like Excel spreadsheets, but whatever it was before Excel yeah, spreadsheets. Yeah. So I actually had an office job now. Some data input of some Yeah, sort. some nonsense. And uh, so I was now working somewhere else. No, I was starting this. But anyway. Getting into so, Oh, yeah. So, yeah, Dreff phoned me up at work. And he's like, oh, my God, I've just come back from Amsterdam. They've just stopped buffering the trains. I was like, fuck, that's it, we're going. So I phoned up Abel, I can't remember, but I know Cherish definitely came with us at one point. So literally took a week off of work, ferry ticket or coach yeah. from Victoria to Amsterdam. Didn't know anyone. Three of us went to Amsterdam, went to Central Station. Every train goes past has got a panel on it. We're like... Oh my god, this is like New York. <laughs> and I was like, right, fucking, we need to find train yard and we need to find paint. And literally just got on the train and rode it and was like, right, there's a yard there. And they had two yards, Guyon and Gasper Plus. I think they were both at the end of the line. There's only two lines, it's a really little metro system. Yeah. So yeah, okay, found the yards. Now let's go get paint. And Writers from all over Europe were getting the same phone calls from mates going, I've just been to Amsterdam, they've stopped up in the metro. <laughs> so really quickly, it just became everyone just turned up in Amsterdam the to hub these trains. The European hub. Yeah, 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 for a moment it definitely was. So we were just, yeah, we spent like a week out there just racking paint and painting trains. Brilliant. And... You'd go to a yard and you'd see writers and they'd be like, no, no, it's safe. Yeah, no, no, just watch out for the like the local kids because they'll rob you and beat you up. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about it, please. Please don't do anything. Just, yeah. <laughs> and then, I can't remember, there was one that had platforms in it. I can't remember what, I think that one we racked bolt cutters, we chopped holes in the fence and got in. Is it in the middle of two, is it in the middle of the lines? No, it was right. end of the line. The one that I'd Is it in the middle of two lines the, the, with, with the platform yard? No, no both. Yeah, okay, both. Somewhere else. There was metro. The two metro yards were, I'm pretty sure they were the end of the lines. Mm. The ones with the platform was definitely at the end of the lines, and the yard was like surrounded by like this little woody bit. Mm. And we cut holes in the fence. And then, so yeah, so I remember vividly me and Cherish being there, and me and him doing throw ups. He had a C throw-up at the time, and I was doing my S throw-up. We'd doing throw-ups in between every window, but doing it on the platform. And it so was you like, had a good height. Yeah, because the other yard didn't have platforms, so all the trains had, like, fucking window-down shit, but the only way our throw-ups were going to go is someone whole-carded it. Yeah. So you, you still see loads of photographs from that time, and there'd be, like, a delta piece, 
And then my throw up or Cherish's throw up. Yeah, above it. So that was a move. I've seen photos. I've seen yeah. shots. So yeah, me and Cherish did that. So anyway, yeah, when Amsterdam painting trains, there's some really cool photographs. And Drax has got identical photographs. And I'm sure fucking loads of writers have got fucking identical photographs. So there's the other yard that didn't have platforms. There's just photographs of like ten writers all doing window downs. <laughs> Amazing. So, yeah. So. Yeah, that, that was... type of stuff solidified train painting careers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just yeah, met loads of fucking writers from all over Europe. And then I remember a time when fucking New York writers started turning up out there. And we went there quite a lot. And that I think that was my first graffiti trip out of like the UK. And that was my introduction to racking in Europe and, like, discovering good paint. Like, in London, like, paint in England was just the worst paint in the world. It was literally horrific. (laughs) (laughs) There's, like, not much you could do with it. So anyone that looks at those old train photos and old wall pieces, like... Those pieces were painted with literally coloured piss. <laughs> so you have to give those people the utmost for, respect for utmost what they respect. did. Exactly, yeah. And then just even the hunting out, as you said earlier, the one or two cans from each brand. Yeah, and then, you know, you couldn't go on internet and order your nozzles. Yeah. Like, you used to get nozzles. They used to do stuff called damp start, which would spray on your engine in the winter, and it would help your engine start, and the damp starts had pink dot fat caps perfect and that was the only fat cap in no. the country <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so on that product yeah on yeah. that product there wasn't thousands of them sitting yeah. in a box yeah you. <laughs> like i've got fourteen thousand exactly, fat caps yeah. said like, that didn't happen so you'd have to go to halfords or your car shop yeah pop the lids pop the lids and diet had been there before exactly. you exactly <laughs> and you haven't got a fucking fat cap <laughs> Yeah, nozzles were worth so much because you couldn't get them. So, uh, yeah, that was my introduction to travelling around and... The racking culture for... that The European racking culture, it was a big thing for UK writers, wasn't it? Yeah, because, like, because you didn't... You couldn't get paint in England, like... I worked... I probably had a job for about 12-odd years Mm. and... If you had a job, you get four weeks holiday a year, and two of those weeks, so half of my annual holiday was spent going to Europe to rack paint. Amazing. I'd paint some trains and shit around it, yeah. but it was solely to rack paint. Yeah. So we'd, lit, we'd get the bus from fucking Victoria to Amsterdam, and we got fucking good at this, like the last few times we did it. We'd take little fold-up trolleys with us and D-locks, loads of rucksacks, get off at Amsterdam Central Station, D-lock the pad, D-lock the trolleys, <laughs> and all stations, every station, every big station all over Europe, they had uh, lockers. That's right, yeah. So we would just go off and all over Holland and Germany were the main places just racking, and really quickly you'd accumulate like 200 cans of paint. And it'd be like, you just, people would give you numbers of writers, you'd turn up in Munich, and you'd have a 
number of a right and you'd phone him up. And he'd be like, yeah, 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 I'll show you some spots, paint a train. Be like, you, I was really like, I'm interested about train, just want wine. <laughs> I've got trains in England, I just want your paint. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, really quickly you'd accumulate 200 cans of paint and 200 was like the most you could carry yeah. on your own. Yeah. So you'd get 200 cans, get back slog to Amsterdam, back. yeah, slog that back, stopping on the way, picking up paint that you'd stashed at other stations, <laughs> get, the, get the coach and the ferry back to London, dump it, straight back out there, racking more. Yeah, you'd, like, you'd, I'd take two weeks off, so you could maybe, I think maybe the most we ever did it in two weeks was three trips. Fucking hell. But that was all your paint for a year. Yeah, you were stacked then. Yeah, like Bunts and Belton and spa fucking... Bars. Yeah, spa bars. And the spa bar used to fucking peel the paint off of BRs. Did it? Spa bar was so toxic. Wow. Yeah, you'd use spa bar on fucking slammed or BRs, all of a sudden you'd see it bubbling. <laughs> it's like paint strip or paint. <laughs> and it was interesting, like... I remember one time doing whole cars with fucking... Maybe Cherish was there. Fuel was definitely there. And just the smells of different European brands of paint wafting down the train yard. It's like, yeah, Bun or yeah, Spalval or Amazing, fucking... man. But, yeah, also, like, you'd go to, like, yeah, German equivalents of, like, Texas or home base. And their shit brand of... Paint. There was a shop called Obi, OBI, that was all over Germany. That was like a B and Q. Yeah. And their own brand of paint was fucking amazing. <laughs> Miles better than what we. Yeah. Here it was basically well. like Buntlack. Yeah. I remember one time we like we were going out there a few years. We had like plots to go to, and then people would recommend other plots, and then you'd you'd go to Dortmund or somewhere, and someone would be like, "Yeah, yeah, try there, try there." And I remember racking double bunts. Fucking hell. like but double... Weirdly, I was just, I just in Paris, not Paris, France, and uh, they had a poster or a print of a photograph of some kid. Oh, there we go. Oh, wow. Double bunt. Oh, it's nasty, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Double bunt. Yeah. Killer. I remember racking double bunts. I've never it's seen like... them. Yeah, they used to do them in ivory colour, like when... I've got the minis in my studio. Yeah. It's like the normal, should I say. Yeah, they used to do them in, yeah, every colour, and we found this, me and Elk found this shop in Dortmund or somewhere that whoever had recommended all these spots didn't know about, so we found this spot, and I had double bounce, and I was like, Elk had just heard of them, or he'd had one. Yeah. But they, you never got them in England... Like the only paint, the only paint shop in England where you could get bunts from was London Graphic Centre. Behind the counter. But we used to go to the warehouses. No. London Graphic Centre had a warehouse in fucking Grove, and they had a warehouse in this place at the time that was no one had heard of, and was in the middle of nowhere. It's called Shoreditch, <laughs> <laughs> and they had a warehouse in Batemans Row. Yeah. In Shoreditch, right opposite where the nightclub is now. Yeah. And we used to go in there. And I was working around the corner, so I'd go in there, suit and tie. Yes. And you could buy shit out of the warehouse. Yes. <laughs> so I literally, ten cans of bunt around my shirt, <laughs> barber wax jacket, another three, four cans in each pocket of the poacher's barber wax jacket, yeah. 
But I looked like a city worker dude. Just strolling. And I'd buy a pack of pencils. <laughs> so, you uh, this for the office. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah whiteboard, yeah, dryboard marker pens for the office. Yeah, the, isn't it? So, uh, yeah, racking paint in Europe, come back, and that would be your, your year's supply mixed with ship paint. I remember the other thing I did, because by then, I, by the, at this point, I'd bought a flat in Lewisham. Right. And I had a flatmate, I don't know how I met him, but this uh, my flatmate at the time was Eggy Eggs from Finland. Oh, amazing! And he was doing graphic design uh, degree at Camberwell College, mm. so just around the corner. So I was living with Eggs, and I owned my flat, mm. so didn't matter about do whatever you want. So it it felt like every weekend someone would phone us up, and it got to the point now where I'd answer a game probably before mobile phones, had a house phone, and I'd answer my phone, and if I heard a fucking European accent, I'd put the phone down. Because <laughs> for about two years, every weekend, there was some cunt from fucking... Somewhere. Some, probably from, definitely from mowers, sleeping <laughs> on my sofa, <laughs> wanting me to take him yards. So, uh, but yeah, that was, you know, that was graffiti culture back then. Um, when... Um... So when I first started, well, I started writing in 95. I've been in it, into it for years. But I actually started writing in 95. And around that year was when um, Skinny's film came out. Kings, Kings and Toys. Which you I were... saw Skinny the other day. Oh, did you? Yeah. yeah. Um, you were, your story in that is prevalent. It's amazing. Ooh. And obviously for a 16-year-old, it was fucking mind-blowing <laughs> like, to get a... F- well, we didn't get your face, did we? But No, you did. We did, actually. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, we did. But to see that... Oh, no, your face wasn't in the magazine, that was it, the mm. graphism mode. Oh, yeah, graphism mode, a mask on. Yeah. So, but that that programme, like, highlighted a lot about about London culture. I, don't, I think it, done, it was an amazing film. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. But your story in it was a bit nuts, and we saw you in your suit, and did you show your throw up? I yeah. Remember. Yeah. Yeah, I showed my throw up because I'd been nicked for it mm. loads of times. Mm. So... Well, I'm not... That's me. Yeah. And at the time, I was writing Iron a lot. So I wanted to be associated with the throw-up. Not Iron, And yeah. not Iron. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, that's my throw-up. You know, and they had fucking photographs of it, loads of it. And, yeah, the video of that, that was that was the flat that I owned at Lewisham at the time. Oh, well, yeah, and you opened up the cupboard, that's right, yeah. with all the paintings. <laughs> it's fucking amazing. I was 16, and I, my, literally my mind was blowing yeah. at what I was seeing. <clears throat> it was it, it showed me that... Uh, I don't know, maybe in the smallest way, it just showed me there was a hell of a lot more out there. Again, there was yeah. more to it. There was... Yeah. I, you never heard the story, Ooh. this guy works yeah. and paints this much. That yeah. story wasn't part of yeah, things no. I was told. You know, seeing that film and seeing you work and being that king, that throw-up was, yeah, mind-blowing. Yeah, it was. And that that's the reason why they wanted me in the, uh, in, the, in the documentary or whatever you like to call it, because nobody... There wasn't a graffiti writer that had a job. Mm. Everyone signed on, claimed housing benefits, sold weed, racked, painted, mm. and, you know, thoroughly enjoyed themselves. But the idea that somebody actually had a job, was like, it's fucking alien. Yeah. yeah. Well, especially, but especially to the paint the level you were painting at as well. Because you'd think you'd be just like a weekend warrior. 
Yeah. <laughs> Which is fine. But, yeah, no, totally. You know, that's what it, that's what it could be perceived as. Um, what happened when that film came out? Uh, I left work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I, yeah, I left. Uh, Did you think about work when you were making it? When you were... Uh, basically, I'd been working for long enough and I fucking hated my job and I hated every cunt that I worked with. Uh, yeah, I just literally hated my job, hated everybody. Uh, I was doing it for the money mm. and I was doing it because I needed a job to get a mortgage. Mm. Uh, I'd bought a flat and I knew that I could do something else. I was intrigued by the idea of making money out of art, but at the time it wasn't art. So I knew that I could design T-shirts or skateboards or something. And Other than what you were doing. Yeah, and, you know, I was aware of... Other writers, specifically writers from New York, that were working with brands and making money. So I knew that I could do... Odd, I was going to try to do something like that. Mm. So they showed Kings and Toys on Channel 4, so I knew someone from work was going to see it. Mm. Yeah. And then, you know, I was working for Lloyds of London. It was like, you know... You know one That's of the ben last, from the 10th floor. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's like one of the last fucking bastions of... I'm sure there was some old wanker in my office that wore a bowler hat. Yeah, probably did, yeah. You know, it was old school and proper. English, yeah. You know, so... British, yeah, even. Yeah, it mm. was... It was... Yeah, it was... Yeah, quintessentially English. Mm. And, yeah, public school and... Just the whole system was just fucking... Yeah... I probably I wasn't supposed to be there, and then this documentary was going to come out, and someone was going to see it, and I was going to get called into the office. And although I hadn't done anything wrong, really, but you know, I'm yeah. sure in the documentary I'd still have been arrested, and you can't have a criminal record and work at Lloyd's of London. Right. And then you don't, you don't want to go through that questioning either from a yeah. Boss. So I was like, cool. So I saw that there was another another option for me, rather than doing this job that I hated. Uh, You'd met enough people as well, by the Yeah, then. and, you know, I'd, I'd spent however many years going out, so I knew people that worked in fashion, I knew people that worked in music, you know, you know, designing album covers, you know, there were options. Whatever it was, yeah, you were going to look for it. Yeah, so when that, just before that documentary actually came out, I handed my notice in and left work, and then I signed on, and I was like, I did it for about... A month, and I was like, "This is so much hard work for fucking <laughs> sixty quid." <laughs> so I fucking, I'd, I'd rather go to work. Yeah, it's easier to go to work and earn is. money than it is to get fucking a lousy sixty quid. It's ridiculous. So, uh, yeah, I just did bits and bobs, and then I started working on a building site with a load of football hooligans and graffiti writers. <laughs> And loved it. Best job I've ever had. It was just so much fun. Uh, well, so after having those those many years of, you know, holding down this job, having having an idea in your head to get a job, to get a house, I mean, to get security, to make yeah. sure you had a base for yourself, to do your own thing. Like, wasn't it scary to think, I'm going to let go of all of that now? No, not really, because I had a mortgage, 
and I bought a two-bedroom flat, and I was renting out my spare my spare room to you know Eggy or somebody. Yeah. So by renting out the spare room, that covered most of my mortgage. Wicked. So you had a bit of security there. You yeah. Walk, so yeah. I knew that I wasn't going to lose my flat if yeah. I went to if I didn't have a job, and. Yeah, I was doing little bits and bobs. Cashing on bits and pieces or yeah. whatever it was. And, yeah, you know, painting something. And I was slowly getting into art. You know, I was putting... I was just experimenting with kind of like typography. And so little things were starting to happen. And then I did like... I did some T-shirts and just did a load of T-shirts for a company in Japan and then a load of money. So... There were loads of little things kind of beginning to happen. So working, so basically when you decided to pick up on type, was that the type you're doing now or was it what you did with Japan or was it completely different? It was the beginnings, the beginnings of, of all of beginnings this. Beginnings of what I'm doing now. So, so yeah, we're doing, we're painting trains and I'm getting more into the graffiti train culture and less into the vandalism and the tagging. Yeah. And I'd spent a time painting trains with this guy called Spike, who was down from Maidstone, mm-hmm. but he used to paint with this other kid. Like his name was Fax. And they were, they'd done a lot of top to bottom hole cars, Spike and Fax. And I was like, right, now I'm going to do the fucking Hand of Doom whole car. <laughs> you know, I'd 20 worked, years later. Yeah, 20 yeah. years later, basically. I'd worked everything out. I got the paint, got the nozzles. You know how to paint. Know how to paint. I know some yards. Right, let's do this fucking... Let's, let's do the reason why I started, got into this in the first place. So, yeah, somehow hooked up with Spike and started doing BRs. And it was like, yeah, fuck tubes, no platforms, can't get fucking photographs. Yeah, yeah. fucking top to bottom old cars, BRs, BRs are safe. You and they're massive. Hours, yeah, you get yeah. hours in a yard and you can get daytime photos. So we started exploring the country, looking for yards with platforms, daytime photos of top to bottom old cars. So started off doing it with Spike. And then spent a time doing quite a long time with Elk and then with uh, Nemma. And it was through Eggy that I met Nemma, weird that I have to meet somebody from Finland yeah. to meet someone from Brighton. Yeah. <laughs> but, An hour away, but yeah, still. Yeah, me, yeah, two years later, meet, yeah, met up with Nemma. So that was kind of like my BR kind of like. <laughs> How long was the BR thing for? Quite a while, man. Five years, eight years. Yeah. Fuck it. I mean, there's a fuckloads of photos. Fuckloads. Yeah. That yeah. have been seen. I can't imagine what hasn't been seen as well. Loads. Yeah. Like, literally, a few years ago, I got a box of photos back from an ex-girlfriend that she'd had, and I was just looking through these photos, and I literally couldn't remember doing hardly any of them. <laughs> I love that. Just so... We're, just, we're going out all the time doing BRs. That... That flat that I lived in in Lewisham was just fucking amazing. Because around the corner from Lewisham, we'd have Grove Park. And we found this fucking, this layup in Grove Park Yard on the other side of the sheds 
where they'd lay up two trains. But it was like the rest of the yard was pretty secured and there was probably a few cameras and they had some big fences around it. But round the back of the shed, literally a piece of piss. <laughs> Every Sunday we'd be doing fucking window down a couple of cars in there. And then Dartford, just destroyed Dartford, top to bottom old cars. And then when I was painting with ochre, that just opened up another load of yards. Tunbridge was our favourite yard with ochre. And then with Nemmer, he knew fucking, he knew a lot of yards on the Liverpool Street line. And then I had some yards on that line as well. So we literally had loads of yards where we could go. Just a constant, picking yeah. constantly. Yeah, I remember Christmases, God, just Christmases were mad with fucking, one night would be Tunbridge, and we'd do like four top to bottom old cars, and next night would be Dartford, another four top to bottom old cars, and the next night Grove Park, and it'd just be like, Loads of panels. <laughs> Jesus, man, what a time. I remember, like, one time we did, like, Tunbridge. I'm sure we did it three nights in a row. <laughs> so it'd be, like, two or three tops of rotten old cars next night, two or three tops of rotten old cars next night. And you'd get photos. There was, no, there was no fence. Now there's a fence right in front of the train. She can't get photos. Yeah. But back then there was no fence. And get these gorgeous whole carriages. So you'd have look out on the bridge over the yard. You'd be in there do it, and you'd wait in, the, wait in the fucking woods all over the park in the summer, sun's up, <laughs> back in the yard. Amazing join-ups, top to bottom how long were you? How long is it taking you to do a whole car? A couple of hours? We, as much time as you wanted, or you felt like, but, yeah, yeah silver whole cars were like, you could do one in 45 minutes. Yeah. But, yeah, most of it was like two-man colour top to bottom whole yeah. cars. There's some majorly iconic whole cars done in that, yeah. that period. On platforms. And that's where, you know, it was Tunbridge that they filmed uh, the Kings and Toys whole cars. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That was done at Tunbridge. So, you, yeah, you watch that and you can see how fucking lovely it is. Yeah. Gorgeous. It's, yeah, fucking sick. I hadn't hit a BR by, because I was only 16, so I hadn't hit a BR by then. So, like, yeah. watching that, it was just like, oh, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> that was, like, the most exciting video because they showed it on t- they showed it on Channel Four, and it was the first time ever like most people had seen somebody painting a train. You know, well, definitely that, definitely that. I just think I, I haven't seen anything better documenting wise for this this country for many years. I don't think we haven't seen haven't seen anything better yet, like in print or film. I, I love that so much, and quite weirdly, it's only like twenty eight minutes long or something. But it feels like it's two and a half hours long because you get so enthralled with it and the stories are so fucking... They're massive stories, but held yeah. in such a short amount of time. It's, it's, it's exciting. It's and also, you know, it's a really good story because it was done by, you know, Skinny and, you know, Elk had a lot to do with it. Yeah. And both Skinny and Elk are smart, intelligent people. And that documentary wasn't about just promoting graffiti no. or just promoting your mates. It, they wanted to tell a story. Mm. And it was really nice the way that they ended it with Ray's... Amazing. Yeah, and, and you know, interviewing Ray's mum. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. You know, I think they called that, that, you know, the consequences. Yeah. And it's like, <clears throat> you know, for those that don't know, Ray's was a writer from, like, Kilburn. North London, Kilburn, yeah. in a crew called The Untouchables, and, yeah, got electrocuted getting chased by the old Bill. 
and died. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was an interesting, well thought out documentary. Yeah, amazing. So, so honest, not, not glorified and not, but also not like a fuck you to the law either, do yeah. you know what I mean? It was just very... Yeah, they had, you know, they interviewed British Transport Police. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was a great documentary. It was a, uh, I feel so lucky to have caught it then and, yeah, you know, the, the legend it became as well is, is so important. We haven't had anything like it since. Yeah. Amazing piece of work. So um, how did the art work out then? So, OK, uh, when I got into graffiti... I like it blew my fucking mind. I'd never seen anything like it. I was like, it literally changed my life. You know, I've had this conversation with, you know, Martha Cooper and fucking Henry Chalfont. You know, it changed my life. And I just thought it was the most exciting art form. And I thought it was going to change the art world. It was going to shake everything up. Uh... And I thought it was going to evolve in the way that I'd kind of... I'd imagined it evolved. But it didn't. It kind of... Graffiti got to this level and then just became graffiti and didn't, didn't evolve. And then, you know, graffiti writers... You know, just self-imposed rules about graffiti, like, you've got to be a train bomber, you've got to rack your paint... You've got to, you can't be a bumpkin, you can't paint BRs, you've got to do tubes. Mm. And it was just all these rules that helped to stagnate graffiti and stopped it from becoming exciting or, or kind of like fulfilling what I thought it had promised me. And then, so I was getting bored of it, I'd been nick loads, me, Ochre, and I think it was Kems. We went to do a yard and two o'clock in the morning out the car. I hopped up on the fence and just I'm jumping over the top of the fence. Car drives past, clocks us, it's plain clothes old Bill. I'm off over the other side of the fence. Oka and Ken's get nicked. I think they both got sent down for going equipped to cause criminal damage. And I'd been nicked more than they had put together. So I was like, fuck, man, I was definitely going to prison. That next one, that yeah. next colour is it's over. Yeah, definitely going to prison. I was like, I don't want to go to prison for fucking graffiti. You know, I was doing bits and bobs. You know, I had this flat, this mortgage. And graffiti was becoming boring. Like, I, I wasn't enjoying it. And I'd done the top-to-bottom hole car. Yeah. You know, I'd Many. done... I think there were two top-to-bottom <coughs> hole cars that I did that both said animals... One was done in Crewe and one was done in Dartford. And it was full colour. One of them was like mad wild style. The other one was like semi-wild style. But there was like jungle scene background and characters. I think there was a lion and some fucking a toucan. And the other one had like some old Bill characters. And so I'd done the top to bottom old cars... And I was getting bored of graffiti, combined with don't want to go out of prison for graffiti. Uh, and I think I'd started to notice these little rats appearing around London. And, and again, the internet was beginning to happen. Mm. So 
I was seeing these weird, these things on the internet that were like, they were done without permission, it was in the streets, and it made me think. Right, same questions that I was asking myself when I got into graffiti. Who's doing this? How are they doing it? What is it? And then uh, there's a website called the Wooster Collective. Yeah, amazing website. Which was just showcasing street art, but at the time it wasn't called street art. It didn't have a name. Mm. Showcasing street art from around the world. And you're seeing this stuff that wasn't graffiti, that was exciting and new and wasn't following the graffiti rules. It was stickers, it was posters, it was sculpture, it was stencils. It was doing everything that wouldn't be allowed in the graffiti world. And then I met Banksy and I was just like, dude, I, fucking, I'm, I really like what you're doing. It's fucking interesting. So we exchanged numbers and started hanging out a bit and started doing a few little bits together. And I started doing, like, making in my garden, making posters and fly-posting my posters around and making what stickers. What were the posters of? They just said iron, iron, yeah. iron, 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 but it wasn't graffiti. It was I more like... I remember those years, actually. Yeah, yeah. it was what I actually found one the other day. Did you podcast. do a load of 45 degrees as yeah. well? Yeah, I remember them, yeah. It was a bit like fucking Christopher Wall his front, you know, sell the house, sell the kids, yeah. you can't take a joke. It was a bit like that, but weirdly, I, at the time, I didn't know who Christopher was. <laughs> I just did this easy, you know, kind of like aerial bold, but mm. turned into a, uh, a font that you could spray as a stencil. So I was doing these and then started adding some extra bits to it, and then this dude saw them, and he, was, he had a big, uh, a big uh, distribution company in Japan. And he saw my posters and he was like, we put them on T-shirts. I was like, yeah, cool. So I literally took the stencils that I did for the posters, put them on some T-shirts. He took them out to Japan, came back and said, I've got £50,000 worth of orders. <laughs> so I was like, fucking Christ. Jesus. So I was like, buy, buy, building site. <laughs> and then I had a little studio. The Dragon Bar had opened, which yeah. again was yeah, fundamental in... London street art movement. It was like, yeah, the hub of the meeting point, the bar. Do you think Do you think the rules in graffiti and the restraints that we hold upon ourselves in that culture, were they at one point appealing? Yeah. You can, yeah, you know that they were yeah. appealing at one point, but you got to a point where it's just like, this isn't fucking doing me anything. It anymore. was appealing because it separated the men from the boys. That's a fucking really good point. Yeah, it was. Because it, it made those points really valid yeah. in that sense, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, totally. it did. But it then did. I didn't need those rules. Mm. And, you know, the world had fucking changed. You know, I kind of, the analogy would be, you know, graffiti was like, the black cab drivers and street art was like Uber. <laughs> really good fucking point. Really good analogy, man. It yeah. really was. Yeah, all these graffiti writers going, we're not fucking buying spray paint off the yeah. internet. <laughs> we're going to rack home base, right? Yeah. We're going to struggle for years yeah. trying to get this yeah, straight yeah. line. We're not going to use tape. Because it, it really was, it was like I was earning money and I had a car and I had a list of every B&Q home base Texas in the country and we'd get in my car and we'd plan a route and we'd literally 
drive until the entire back of the car was filled up with paint and then take it back to the studio or whatever and I'd have a load of paint. So I was kind of working and I worked out that if I get nicked racking the paint, that's not great. But I've, you know, I spent two days racking a load of shit paint or I could go to the graffiti shop and spend 500 quid, I can earn 500 quid in two days and have a load of really good paint and I'm not risking getting nicked and maybe going to prison. Yeah, all disappears for shoplifting. Yeah. Because that's what it is. It's, yeah. not, it's not racking paint to do your thing. No. It's shoplifting. Yeah, yeah. which is, you know, there's two types of crime. There's a dishonest crime mm. and a trustworthy crime. Yeah. And, you know, thieving, fraud, dishonest crime. Yeah. Doesn't matter what it's for. Yeah. Makes you a dishonest person. Criminal damage... You you could be you can have a criminal record for criminal damage, but you're still honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not a liar. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. (laughs) Which is a weird English. Yeah, which is a really weird English way of looking at it. Good way to excuse yourself a bit, but it's true. Yeah, it really is. Like depending on the crime, you could still get a job with a with a criminal record for criminal damage. Yeah, because you're shoplifting. Yeah, because you're not you're not you're an honest criminal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's nothing. But yeah. Yeah, shoplifting, theft, mm. that automatically makes you dishonest. Mm. So now you can't... Not that I was going to get a job anyway, but, yeah, just, you know, just an example of... Well, apart from all of that, it's the fucking ball ache of being nicked. Yeah. It's just that. It's like, all right, cool. If I'm still going to paint trains, if I'm still going to put up a couple of tags, <coughs> do I have to really fucking still rack my paint? Like, it's, it's yeah. the lowest of the... So I was like, just doesn't make sense, me doing this anymore I'll from now on I'm just going to buy my paint where were you buying it from then was it a guy called Memo oh right yeah yeah Memo used to sell it that's right Dudley from yeah. Manchester he used to he was he was the first one so this is like early 2000s late 99 yeah. 2000 yeah 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 Memo and Dudley yeah and I remember lugging back because uh, Memo was down in Crystal Palace or somewhere mm. And I remember getting the train back up to wherever I was living at the time, fucking... Fucking left, yeah, Clerkenwell, basically, Mm. with a rucksack with 150 cans of paint for Memo, (laughs) thinking, this is much easier than coming back from Amsterdam. (laughs) 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 This is so much better. got a receipt as well. Yeah, got a receipt. (laughs) Yeah. Not going to get stopped by fucking sniffer dogs. So yeah. that's where the, the, the change started to happen, yeah? Yeah, there was, there was like a, a, a bunch of little changes. Yeah, I mean, it would have been over a staggered amount of time. Yeah. yeah. And I was just like, don't need to nick my paint anymore, I'm just going to buy it, buy my nozzles. Well, also, need... the paint that was coming in that way was amazing. Yeah, and it was like... like you're, you're right, rather than having to slap over to Amsterdam to get it. Yeah, I was buying uh, hardcore, Montana hardcore. Mm. I was just like, don't have to wrap my paint anymore. And graffiti is boring. And this street art thing's happening, so... And when you say boring, you don't, you don't mean in the sense of... You'd still get the thrill if you went off and painted the train, but the yeah. point being is that you're bored of all the rules and the things that are holding everything back. Yeah, it, like, like graffiti had with this With this new, mo- this new thing you're going into, so much more was open yeah. for you to do. You could do anything. Yeah. Like, literally anything, and it was like... That made it exciting. I remember, so, I've been doing, 
you know, posters and stickers and fucking around with stencils. And then uh, it was me and Sept. Uh, there were these four shutters down at the bottom of Kingsham Road. And they were, yeah, roll-down shop shutters. But the shops that they were... The shops had been sh- shut for fucking forever. Mm. So no-one owned them. So one Sunday morning, me and Sept went up there. And uh, Sept did a Sept blockbuster thing on one shutter. And I think I painted two E's. Sunday morning, in the daytime, just do it. Looking like we're supposed to be doing it. Went back next day to get, or later on that day, say so next day, wasn't I? I had to wait for the sun to come up. <laughs> it's another advantage of doing street art. <laughs> uh, yeah, went back later to get photographs. And I was looking at it, and I was thinking, this is so much more interesting than a piece of graffiti. I was looking at nothing against Sept. I was looking at Sept's thing, thinking... That says Sept, no-one's going to give a fuck. There's these two E's, for what reason? Yeah. Why? And I purposely didn't write my name on it, didn't write iron on it. And it was underneath, uh, I think a nightclub was called Catch, Mm. which was obviously pumping out loads of ecstasy tablets. (laughs) So So it worked perfectly. So there's these two E's underneath a nightclub on shutters for no reason and there's not a tag on it. And I was like, this is fucking great. I'm going to do the entire alphabet. Yes. <laughs> so, fuck writing iron. If I write, if I put iron to it, everyone's just going to ignore it yeah. because it's boring. And put you up for cussing as well, take you out yeah. verbally. Yeah. Right. yeah. And it's like, you know, graffiti is for graffiti writers and no one else. Mm. But this isn't for graffiti people. It's for everyone else. Yeah, it's for everyone else. So it was like, I was like, right, I'm going to do every fucking letter of the alphabet. And I think I kind of just went went all out. And I think it took me three months. But in the course of that three months, I'd painted like about 70 shutters around like Hackney Road, Broadway Market, Well Street, Brick Lane. All predominantly illegal as well. Yeah. Yeah, no permission. Yeah. After I'd got... bunch of them yeah. and got photographs. It was easier. Then I'd go into shops yeah. and be like, oh, I'm doing this art project, can I paint your shut and do Well, you would have run out of disused shops as well, I bet, at some point. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, it was getting to the point where... Yeah. I've got to go, I'm going to have to ask for some of these. Yeah. But the good thing was that all of these shutters were covered in tags and most of the... T- Tags on them were mine. <laughs> so I was like, can I paint over your shutter? You know, it will solve the problem of your shutters getting tagged. <laughs> For one. Yeah. By me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was how I sold it. You won't get tagged anymore. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I started painting the, the uh, big letters on the shutters. And I remember my graffiti mates thinking... He's gone mad. What the fuck is he doing? <laughs> He's not even signing them. Yeah. What is he doing? And everyone's like, don't worry, it'll pass. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be back. Yeah. And uh, it was just really interesting. And there's, uh, there's a comedian, I think his name's Dave Gorman. But he did, he went out because he lived around, I didn't, I've never met him, but yeah, he lived locally. Yeah. And... Uh, he went out and he photographed the entire alphabet. Wow. And he did a poster and it, he put it on his comedy show. And then 
Yeah, it just, it gained... Was, was a, it a part in his comedy show? Yeah. He spoke about it? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And, like, the, the thing was, it's like, no one knew who was doing it or why they were doing it or whether it was, you know, was it the council trying initiative. to improve the look at the neighbourhood? Yeah. You know, is it an advertising campaign? What does it spell? Yeah. No one knew what it was. And all of these questions were like, oh, no one gives a fuck about graffiti. No one cares about it. This had never happened when you were... Yeah. yeah. And now, everyone's like, what is this? So, uh... So, yeah, I was like, oh, I'm going to carry on doing this. And then, you know, I was doing... Trying to find places to paint more shutters. And then I was like, right, what can I do next? And there was a wall on Hollywell Lane. Massive, great big wall. And I was like... Right, I'm going to try to paint that. And uh, so we went down there and there was a huge, great big wooden sign advertising some, like, car repair place that had gone out of business, like, 20 years ago. So we ripped that down and we spent, like, two days fucking just scraping off all this Victorian dirt and shit off the wall. And then... There was a huge, great big damp patch on the wall, so we fucking... I got a load of PVA and exterior, white exterior emulsion and mixed up pots of this. Fucking and we spent, like, another two days painting this wall, wearing painter's overalls and high-vis jackets with ladders and bollards and painter's tape. And over the course of those four days, all the people that worked around there got to know us and saw us yeah. and became familiar with us. And then... Spent two days writing the word vandalism <laughs> on the wall <laughs> without permission and got away with it. Fuck. And I was, like, literally painted, like, a piece the size of two train carriages... <laughs> in the street. ..in Shoreditch, in the street, in the daytime. What was, what was Shoreditch like, then? Because this was... This isn't what Shoreditch is like now. No, Shoreditch was Shoreditch was way, way different. Like when I first kind of when I first started going to Shoreditch or kind of like or moved to like that area, Shoreditch was Barley Moe. What's the other one? The Bricklayer's Arms, uh, London Apprentice, or whatever the London Apprentice turned into before it turned into Mother. Yeah. And the Dragon Bar. And Atlantis. The art shop. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go in there with Prime in the late 90s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, yeah, no, it was nothing Atlantis. There. Yeah, it was nothing. It was, it was like, yeah, lots of artists, lots of artist studios, no coffee shops, couple of pubs and the Dragon Bar. Mm. And the bagel bar as well, I suppose. Yeah, the yeah. bagel shop. Mm. And, yeah, it was... It was like, Shoreditch, or what is Shoreditch, like, not Brick Lane, or, but it was nothing. It was like, there was nothing there, it was great. Basically wasteland, nearly. Yeah. Yeah, might as well have been. So, uh, so yeah, so I was like, so I got away with painting vandalism in the daytime, massive. And I was like, uh, then this wall is now the wall outside Village Underground. Which is getting painted. It gets painted every, at least once a month. Yeah, every four weeks at least. Is and, yeah. So I got away with painting that. So what? There was, it was empty before that. That space. Nothing. I was the first person to paint it. Fuck, and there was nothing behind the wall. No. 
Because there, yeah, because there was those old businesses. That's right. Because the, the blind people have just gone. They were there for years. Yeah, they made blinds on Great Eastern. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, it, was, it had never been painted, and I was like, I can't fucking paint this. I mean, the whole land has changed around there now. Yeah, so much so. Completely different. Wow, fucking hell. I didn't know that was the first painting. Though. Yeah. So, uh, so I got away with painting that, and I was like, fucking sweet. I'll paint another one. So I literally went two, uh, two roads up and painted Scary outside Cargo. Oh, yeah, yeah, in the, under the bridge. Again, exactly the same treatment. Clean paint it all up. Clean it, paint it white. And uh, I think we actually, I think Scary took us, I think we got it all painted in a day. Fucking hell. But yeah, exactly, paint, painted it Sunday daytime, <clears throat> in the daytime. No one cared. And then are you thinking... I'm, I'm loving this, this is brilliant. Like, I'm getting to paint whatever I want, any word I want. I've done the whole alphabet. Are you thinking about selling art now? I'm thinking the idea of selling art... I'm still not thinking about being an artist, but the idea, like, you know, an artist to me was Tracy M in Damien Hurst. Yeah. The idea of being an artist still isn't coming into my head. The idea of putting my art on canvases and selling it painting a canvas that says vandalism or vandals and selling it painting scary on a canvas and I was also really into uh, uh, American gig screen prints I'd been collecting screen prints by predominantly two artists Frank Kozak and Coop and I was really interested in the way that a band would get an artist to produce a gig poster as they toured around America. Mm. And these posters were, you know, sometimes signed, sometimes numbered. But they'd be like six-colour screen prints... Amazing. ..that you could buy at the gig, and then the local fucking comic shop might take them afterwards. And they were like 30 bucks. And I was like, this is fucking amazing. And there was no screen prints being produced yeah. in England at the time. Like, there were art prints that were, like, thousands of pounds yeah. by, like, fucking, you know, rich artists. Or there were T-shirts. There was nothing cheap. There wasn't any screen print workshops that were printing cheap, affordable, accessible... Yeah, art. So... Uh, been working quite a bit with Banksy and we'd met a f- quite a few other street artist people. Uh, Bass Dyko Fowl from New York, Shepherd, trying to think. A few others. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember. At the time, I can't remember who else we'd met at the time. And it was like, you know, if Banksy had a website, I might even have had a website. Just showing your work. Yeah, just literally showing your work. Mm-hmm. You know, you could shop websites didn't exist. No. And, you know, people were sending us emails saying, oh, I really like this. You know, can I buy something? What have you got for sale? And it was like, all right, so based on my kind of like, my interest and fascination with the American gig poster thing, it was like, let's do screen prints. Use this formula and let's do screen prints. So... Banksy got a couple of prints produced by this company called Mission Print mm-hmm. up in Birmingham. 
But we wanted, it was just that, it was just like, this is exactly, this is boring, this is like, you know, this is just a screen printed reproduction, we want to do something more exciting. And the way to do that was to do it ourselves. Mm. So we set up pictures on walls, and I was the printer, and the idea, well, one of the ideas behind pictures on walls was to actually work with the artist next to you. So I print a colour, they do something, I print a colour, they do something, and produce, you know, interesting, unique, hybrid screen prints that were cheap. Where did you learn to print? I taught myself. Just on the job? Yeah, yeah. basically. Jerv came down from Birmingham with a vacuum flatbed, some screens, some ink and some paper. And the first print I printed was uh, by an artist called Dolk. And it was uh, a Labrador humping R2-D2. <laughs> and that was the first print I ever printed. Wow. Uh, it, it took about... 500 sheets of paper to print 75 good ones. Yes. <laughs> one or two, a two colour print. But uh, yes, yeah, so that was the first print. And uh, yeah, and that was, that pitched them all. That started that whole game. Yeah, and then, guy, yeah, I printed fucking thousands of prints. But yeah, that's how pitched them all started. And then was that when you were like, I'm an artist now? Getting to be an artist, it was whilst I was at Pitchland Walls uh, that I did my first solo show ever at a gallery called Chemistry, which was on uh, Charlotte Road, basically uh, Shoreditch. Yeah. Yeah, so that was my first ever show down there. And I made everything either in... Pitch them walls or on the pavement outside pitch them walls. <laughs> when we when I wasn't printing, then I was using the space as my studio. <clears throat> that kind of started a whole thing in well in the UK. I was about to say Shoreditch and then London, but no, it, it started like a nationwide movement. Yeah. Nearly. No, it really did. It gave it was... an opportunity for a load of artists to <laughs> think in a different way, and yeah. for a load of new artists to come out who wouldn't have come out in any other way. We had no idea like how important Picture Them Walls was when we started it. Like everything we've done, we've never done with a, yeah, mm. and then in five years time, it's gonna be this. Right. It's always been like, we need to do this now. How can we do it? No one else is doing it. No one else has given us any opportunities to make art, sell art. Mm. Fuck it, we do it ourselves because we want to do it how we do it. We don't want to like, the, the, like one of the things that I loved about me screen printing was I didn't know how to screen print. And because I didn't know how to screen print, I didn't know what you couldn't screen print. Yeah. Like some of the jobs we did, working with fucking, you know, Bast or someone next to me, you know, if we went to a screen printer and be like, oh yeah, it'd just go, no, mate. Stop right there. No, no, you can't do no, that. No, no, I'm no. not doing that. I'm just going to break the screens. <laughs> No, you can't put that through a screen. No, it doesn't work. Yeah, no, no we, you... we, we don't do paper that big. You know, just every, like, getting a cab, trying to go in a fucking Elephant and Castle 20 years ago, be like, no, mate, no, 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 not going over yeah. there. No, mate, don't go, don't do bridges. <laughs> and I didn't, know how to, I didn't know how to screen print, so I'd be like, yeah, fuck it, let's have a go. 
yeah, let's print on fucking glass. Let's, you know, whatever. So, uh, yeah, we had a lot of that, which was good fun. What year was the Pistol Wars <laughs> open? Do you remember? Oh, Something happened. I opened my shop in 03, February 03. HQ's opened in June 04. And then there was a guy up north, the bench. Yeah. He'd opened his shop. And so we're all kind of... Well, I suppose not HQs as such, but kind of... I'm selling art. I'm trying to sell art. Yeah. And artists. But what Pictures on Walls did was something so yeah. fucking different and big. It's probably because of the artists you were working with as well. Yeah. Like, Pictures on Walls had a massive advantage because it was artists that were doing it mm. and it was artists that were doing it in the street. Yeah. So we were respected. We knew these people. There wasn't anything else like it in London. Mm. So we could approach an artist, your mate, and they'd want to do it. Mm. And then, obviously, you've got to get the print signed. So, you know, you've got two options. Let's ship fucking 300 sheets of paper, worth 100 quid each, to New York, get them to sign them, and they're unreliable, useless artists anyway, so it's <laughs> going to take fucking Six two months. months. Yeah. <laughs> and then... Trust the artist to wrap them back up properly and then <laughs> ship them back. Or why don't we fly fucking Bastard Ico to London? We've got them for a week. Yes. We'll find a wall from the paint. We'll go out fucking street bombing with them. You know, we'll get some content for, for, for the website and we'll, and we'll do the print edition with them and we'll get them to do fucking 20 special prints that we'll sell for more money. So we did that, and everybody came. It was amazing. And was that what, what was the where was the first location? The first location for Pitched and Walls was out of uh, Sleeves Nation's office. That was it. In a, it was in that blue building, which had a bit of a courtyard, and there were quite a few like designery, magaziney people in there. Just off Old Street Roundabout. Yeah, yeah. just round. It was Pitchton Walls was always. I think we had three locations, mm. and whilst I was involved, it was all round that. You know, like always five minutes walk from the Dragon Bar. Yeah, weirdly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Perfectly. Yeah. So uh, yeah, the first office was out out of Sleaze Nation, and then it got to the point where we 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 weren't screen printing out of there. But it got to the point where we were using more of their staff and more of their office than they were. Yeah. They were kind of winding down anyway, so they didn't really care. But, yeah, we, we was just like, oh, no, we've we got, we got to get our own office. So, yeah, we, got a, we, got, we found a space on, I think it was Scranton Street. Yeah. And that was the first, because, yeah, after Scranton Street, it was Willow Street. Yeah, found a place on Scranton Street and started printing. And so... Were you you're making money being a printer, I suppose, within the business? Yeah. And then are you starting to do commissioned work? Yeah, or? starting to make art, canvases, and, yeah, starting to sell stuff. You know, not a lot. You know, I remember the first, the first time I put an A to Z canvas in a show was... Uh, D-Face's first stolen space when it was in Edgeware Paddington. Road. Yeah. yeah, or Edgeware Road Craig or wherever. Street, yeah. And he had a show there, and I had some A to Z paintings in that. 
And I think they were 500 quid each. Fuck off. Yeah, metre square of 70 <laughs> centimetre square. Jesus, I think they were 500 quid, so <laughs> I got paid 250 quid. I bet you did. Yeah, 250 quid I earned from that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. that was it, you were like, okay, I think I've got something. Yeah. And at the time, you know what I mean? It was weird. At the time, 500 quid, it kind of... Oh, it's massive. Yeah. And especially, like, it sounds nothing now because we've been in the game 15 years. Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? 250 pounds, like, you're, you're fucking... That better be there on top of everything else. But back then... That was fucking... It was great. It was fuck, It was a painting. Yeah. I'd sold a piece of work, which was fucking great. Yeah. And I've got fucking 250 quid. Yeah. How, how did I survive? I have no idea. Yeah. God knows. I remember selling my first painting. It was an amazing feeling. Yeah. Amazing Somebody feeling. wants my art. Yeah. Enough to fucking pay money for it. Such a bizarre feeling. <laughs> an amazing thing. So, as time goes on, you get more and more known for being Iron, Ben Iron, the guy that does yeah. the letters. And then, what, what was the... The painting that Cameron gave to Obama. Yep. <clears throat> what had happened up to that point? Had you got to a certain level with art? Had you been showing your artwork worldwide by then, or? Yeah, I was doing, I was doing bits with my art. Yeah, I was selling bits and bobs. Uh, I'd done a collaboration with Anya Heinmark, who's a bit of a posh handbag lady. Mm. Uh, she had a store on Sloan Square and oh, wow. Sloan Street. Mm. So I designed some stuff that she had printed. She, uh, she did a tote bag that said, this is not a plastic bag, that kind of blew up mm. and then got ripped off. But it, it made her kind of a household name. You know, was she that was, your design? Not the plastic bag no, one. OK, right, yeah. Uh, but it made her a household name with people that didn't spend 700 quid on a handbag. Yeah. And then on the back of that, she approached me and was like, oh, I'm going to do another uh, tote bag. I'm going to do a few of them. Uh, really love your stuff. Would like to do your, use your designs. So I was like, yeah, sweet. So I gave her, I think I gave her four designs and then she got me to paint the windows of her shop, which was cool. And then... I'd, there was a gallery on Middlesex Street, I can't remember what they were, Electric something or other, and they wanted to do a big group show with a load of street artists and they wanted me involved and I agreed to do the show if they got me a load of shutters to paint. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, cool. And then we came up with the idea of me painting the entire alphabet uh, in a font that I hadn't used on shutters before but I wanted the alphabet in alphabetical order. And it took about a year to convince all the shop owners to allow us to paint an A on there, a B on there, a C on there. But eventually we got permission off of everybody apart from one dude, so we had a show. Anyway, on the back of painting the entire alphabet, I got loads and loads of press. Where did you do that? Can't remember. Yep. <laughs> and I could find out, because I've, I've got, I've, I found an old uh, book with a load of cuttings in it, so I can find out. No. 2010, maybe, 2011. Okay. So on the back of that, I got a load of press and the Observer did a two-page feature on me. Wow. On their Sunday newspaper. 
So chatting to you. Yeah. Wow. Photographed it and yeah, two two page in the in the broadsheet yeah. or the review section of the Sunday newspaper. Yeah. Uh, so on the back of that, uh, camera had been in power for a little bit, and Obama uh, had just become the president of America. Obama had obviously used Shepard Ferry for his first hope campaign. Yeah. Uh, Obama, obviously the first half-black president of America. Uh, slight interest in street art, different from any other president that had ever been in power before. Uh, Cameron and Obama were meeting in Washington and they'd agreed to do an art exchange. Wow. Uh, street art. Anya Heinmark is really good friends with Samantha Cameron and the guard, uh, the Observer did a two, two weeks page. before, two-page spread. So the newspaper put the idea in their head. Wow. Just imagine David and Samantha in bed on a Sunday morning <laughs> and Samantha saying, oh. His work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's just done a job with Anya Heinmark. Yeah, oh, he's a street artist, oh yeah. Don't you need a street artist? Yeah, I'm looking for a street artist. <laughs> well, I'm waiting for Banksy to get back to me. <laughs> yeah, he's not going to reply. <laughs> so that's basically how I got the job. Fucking hell. And they commissioned you for a painting then, yeah? What they, uh, I got a phone call. Annie Heimart phoned me up and she's like, oh, uh, weird one. Do you mind if I give your number to Downing Street? <laughs> 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 That's definitely weird. Yeah. The fuck? <laughs> I was, and she was like, I can't say anything, but they're looking for a painting to give to the most powerful man in the world. Oh, my God. And I was like, yeah, cool. How the fuck do you take that on a phone call, <laughs> man? The fuck? So li- ten minutes later, the phone rang, and it was like, hi, oh, I'm blah, 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 David Cameron's, you know, past PA. Uh, yeah, would you be interested? Uh, we can't name any names, but... Uh, David's got a meeting with the most powerful man in the world. <laughs> and they've agreed to do an art exchange. I was thinking, hmm, David Cameron and Dr. Evil were having a meeting. It's <laughs> <laughs> a weird one. <laughs> no surprise, though. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, yeah, cool. Uh, and she, and oh, this is so typical of everyone and every job you ever get. She said, the only thing is, we need the, we need the artwork by Monday. Oh, and sake. this was like standard. Friday night. Yeah, yeah, standard <laughs> shit. <laughs> Nothing so, different. yeah, so I, I started sending them photographs of stuff that I had that I thought might be suitable. And one of the images I sent them was a painting that said 21st Century City. Yeah. And, uh, they came back and said, yeah, how much do you want for 21st Century City? And it had been in a gallery show in New York, and I think it was up in the gallery for $3,000, maybe not even. Wow. Maybe $2,000 and hadn't sold. And uh, I was like, you can have it for nothing. Wow. I had no idea who else they were talking to. Yeah. You know, I was thinking, yeah, five grand. Yeah. And I was just like... If I get this... This is different. Yeah, this is potentially so much fucking press and interest off of this. And it's still based on a presumption, because even though you haven't said the word Obama, the name Obama, you're still like, 
I know it's serious. Yeah, yeah. 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 I was, I was like, as soon as they said, oh, the most, I knew it was going to be with Obama. Yeah. Uh, so I was just like, yeah, you can have it. Wow. Because yeah, I didn't know who they were talking to, yeah. and I didn't know whether if they had a budget, and I didn't want to say five grand, and they come back and say, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, we've got somebody else now. Five grand's too much. Yeah. I just didn't. I just didn't want to take that risk. So I was like, oh, you can have it. And. Uh, they were like, cool. So they came around my studio, picked it up, flew it to Washington, and the day before they picked it up, the, uh, his name's Andy someone. This is the guy that got sent to prison for phone tapping. Oh, yeah. The News of the World yeah. dude. At the time, he was head of communications at Downing Street. <laughs> yes, that was his job, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he phoned me up and he was like, uh, he's like, so Samantha's pregnant... So she's not going to Washington. And this is the first time that the two leaders have ever met. And ordinarily, all the press talk about is what the wives are wearing. But the wives aren't going to be there. So the press is going to pick something else to talk about. We think it's going to be you. What? So, uh, yeah, be prepared. You're going to get bombarded. And... And I was like, no, it's fine. I, you know, I do press all the time. He's like, no, this is going to be next level stuff. And they could, they're like, it could go either way. They could be like, oh my great, oh god, this is you know fucking Cinderella story. Yeah. Or they could go, uh, fucking vandal with criminal record. Yeah. Uh, Look right into it all. Yeah. So he was like, you know, here's my number. Phone me up. You don't have to answer any questions. Uh, if you're not comfortable with, you know, answering a question, just say not answering it. Uh, but yeah, if you need any advice, if you need any help, here's my number. Give me a call. And uh, yeah, next day, my phone. I woke up and my phone was just like fucking 200 emails and fucking everybody had my telephone number. It just wouldn't stop ringing. And there was fucking TV crews outside my studio. Fucking hell. And it was like literally four days of press interviews, just continuous. And it just went fucking mental. And was that the changing point? That was, that was a big... Part of it. Yeah, yeah that was, you know, it's, a, it's been a really, really long and slow journey. Well, I think because it was also so authentic, it wasn't... Yeah. It wasn't like a doing nothing before that. You'd been working really hard at producing this work. Yeah, no, it was, it's, you know, it's been a slow journey and, but that was definitely, you know, a fucking amazing, an amazing part of the journey. What a fucking mad story. Yeah, and then, I, you know, I wound up going to Downing Street and fucking... After? Like, yeah, after that, yeah, Downing Street phoned me up again and was like, oh, David and Samantha would like to say thank you. Uh, so yeah, you've got an invitation to Downing Street for lunch. So I went to Downing Street and yeah, had lunch with fucking David and Samantha. I was there for about four hours. They must have gone down a storm then. They must have fucking loved giving him that painting. Yeah, yeah. The press, like the first bit of press that dropped on one of the websites was ex vandal painting. And then after that, everything was positive. And then that Brilliant. story disappeared. I think it was in The Guardian, and that story disappeared. Mm. And then The Guardian did something positive about it. Yeah, everything everything was fucking really positive and great. And I was just like, it's fucking brilliant. And then 
I'd, I'd agreed to do a show in San Francisco. I can't remember when the, when the, I actually gave the painting. But anyway, four months later, I was doing a show in San Francisco. So, uh, yeah, did a show and sold out. Like, on the back of all the press, I think Nelly Duff had loads of stuff of mine. And they sold everything in a weekend. I think they sold like 80 grand worth of shit in a weekend. Jesus Christ. And I did a show in San Francisco which sold out. So people were looking for your work by that point. Yeah. And this show in San Francisco sold out. And I was just thinking to myself, I'm so glad I didn't charge you any money for this painting and I got this. It would have been a different story, man. Yeah. It would have been different. The fact that you could... The fact that they knew they were given that painting... Yeah, just just them thinking that is is a great thing. They would have they would have felt completely different about you had they paid for it. Yeah, and also, and I didn't realise this at the time, but David wasn't paying for it. The taxpayer was paying for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Which at the same time, you don't really want them paying for it. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, it yeah. would have been the taxpayer paying for yeah, it. Yeah, it wouldn't have come out of David's fucking. Yeah, <laughs> you know however much he's got a year. Nuts, man. Um, so did you move to America after that? Yeah, not and, straight afterwards. No, but w- was the appeal of America the art scene? So, yeah, I had this show in San Francisco. Uh, so I went, I'd never been to San Francisco before, and we all knew that it was going to be a big deal. So I said to the gallery, yeah, I want to be in San Francisco for a month. I want you to find me fucking loads of shutters, loads of walls. You know, I wanted to fucking make a mark in San Francisco Mm. and really do a lot to, like, you know, promote the show. And the best way for me to promote the show is fucking paint the fuck out of San Francisco. Mm. So, uh, so yeah, I was in San Francisco for a month, loved the place. Uh, At the time, I was taking too many drugs in England and wanted to stop taking drugs. So went to San Francisco and didn't take any drugs, really. And thought, hmm, when I'm out of London, I'm not taking drugs. When I'm in London, I'm taking drugs. Don't really want to take drugs. And then started going to America a lot more because obviously the whole Obama thing opened up America for me. Had you been before? Had you had been? I'd been yeah, I'd done a show in New York. I'd done a show in LA. Cool. Had you gone on any other reason apart from just to show work? No. No. So it was just art had brought you there. Art has taken. I've never. I haven't gone anywhere really without art being without, there. Yeah, without art or graffiti being involved. Yeah, amazing. Amazing. So yeah. back and forth to America. Yeah, I, I think I'd, I'd shown in New York, LA and Denver. Oh, yeah. But on the back of the show in uh, San Francisco, I was having a lot more invitations and offers to do work, paint and do shows in America. So I was going out there a lot more. And I uh, just liked the place. Yeah, I just really liked the place. And I just had a messy... Yeah, I'd had a messy divorce in England. Didn't really... Yeah. Ex-wife got the house. So I was living in, like, a shitty little flat. And, yeah, didn't have a... You could do enough, what you were doing anywhere. Yeah, yeah, I can, yeah, basically, I can do what... I can be an artist anywhere in the world. I don't have to be in England. So it was like... Yeah. And then met this, met this young lady... And me and her got married. You got married out there? Got married in 
I got married in Malibu. Wow. Like, a, like every graffiti artist from South London dreams of. Yeah, exactly that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, in that that's what we saw in South London. Want to get married in Malibu. So, yeah, I got married to an American. And, uh, yeah, spent quite a few years in America. And then producing art, putting yeah. on shows. None of it stopped. Yeah, no, exactly the same as this. Wicked. Yeah, exactly the same as what I do here, but just in San Francisco. Had a studio, painted, made art, came back to England, did a bit of work over here, travelled around Europe, but was based in San Francisco. Crazy. Crazy, crazy. When did you come back? I got kicked out of America four years ago. You talk about why you got kicked out. Yeah, uh... Basically, uh, I lied every time I went to America. So when you fill out your Esther yeah. and they say, have you ever been arrested before? You obviously say no. Mm. And then when I got married, I applied for a green card and my wife was a lawyer. And as a lawyer, you can't lie. Mm. I would have continued lying. But, uh, so, yeah, so she, she was like, no, you can't lie on this. They're going to check it out. And I was like, they're not going to check anything out. Anyway, so... They're like, have you ever been arrested before? And I was like, yeah. So it was because I lied, yeah, going back to being a dishonest criminal. Yeah. I'd lied on my visa applications previously to get into the country uh, because I had two convictions for possession of cannabis. That raised a problem. And then I'm not 100% sure this is true, but they claimed that... I got married two days after my tourist visa had expired. <laughs> so for those, re- for those three reasons, they denied my green card wow. and said, you have to leave the country immediately. So I was living in this really lovely little flat in Laguna Beach. I could hear the waves crashing on the beach oh, from mate. my window. Beautiful. Laguna's fucking, like... Surf paradise, and I got a letter from uh, immigration services saying, "Sorry, your green." No, I don't even think they said sorry. <laughs> uh, your green card's been denied. You've got to leave the country immediately. So I phoned up my lawyer, and I was like, "And he's like, no, let me have a look at this. I'll, I'll call you back." And uh, he phoned me up a few days later, and he said, "No, you've got to leave now. Otherwise, you'll never get back in the country." Fuck. So. So you can't have them come and find you to kick you out. Is if you walk out. You're allowed back at some for, for your yeah, yeah yeah. But if they come and get you, they're gonna fuck fuck you yeah, up. Yeah yeah. So well, they would have got me because I was travelling. So at some point, yeah, in the next three months, you, yeah. I would have had to have left the country. Yeah. And then when I tried to get back in, they'd just been like, "Fuck off, mate." You've been ignoring us here. Yeah. So yeah, there was no you know, if I had, if I could have stayed in America for like a period of like three years, yeah. and I could have got some top lawyer. And then, you know, with my with my ex-wife and, you know, I've got a daughter in America, you know, we could have fought it and said, no, he's got to stay in here, he's got a kid, you know, they bought and a house in San Francisco, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that. you know, yeah. he's got a job. He's, you know, I was fucking paying taxes in America. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we could have fought it, but the moment I left America and tried to get back in, I wasn't getting back in. So I didn't have a choice but to go, oh, that's sweet, so... I fucking got two suitcases, ran as much shit as I possibly could in the suitcases. 
flew back to England. Shit. Homeless. Yeah. <laughs> with all my possessions in two suitcases. Fucking hell, man. Luckily, I'd done a job for Soho House. I'd given them some artwork. So I had membership to Soho House and five grand's worth of credit. <laughs> so I checked into Soho House for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's the way to come back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I checked into Soho House for two weeks and, uh, and then uh, met some bird... And moved in with her in Peckham. Nice. Yeah, and then... Carried uh, on doing art. Yeah, just uh, Jealous. I'd been working with Jealous for a bit. Jealous Gallery, yeah. Yeah. So I'd been working with Jealous Gallery for a bit and Dario at Jealous was like, oh, we've got this bit of space that we don't really use. We can section it off. You can use that as a studio. So I had a little studio space in Jealous. And... uh yeah. Back in Shoreditch. Back in Shoreditch, basically. <coughs> and, uh, yeah, that was how it worked. And you, you've travelled the world a bit? Yeah, I've been everywhere in the world, with the exception of Mongolia, Fucking <laughs> pretty much. And painting massive, large paintings everywhere, pretty much, yeah. along with whatever art you can pull off. Yeah. I mean, canvas art or print or whatever it would be. Yeah, it was... It was we we did a job in uh, Moscow last year, so you got you you need to apply for a visa to get into Moscow, mm. and we were working over there, and like we were having help with our visas. But part of the visa application is you have to uh, list all the countries you visited and the time and the dates that you visited these countries in the last two years. Fuck. Now, oh, fuck knows. The only way I, I ever know where I've been is by going through Instagram, <laughs> basically. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was just really interesting making this list of everywhere I'd been. I, well, I couldn't do two years because I'd lose my passport every year and a half anyway. Yeah. So I could only go back as, as old as my passport was. But, yeah, just the places I've been to, yeah, in the last year, just on the back of art, but just everywhere... You know, Australia, Japan, Colombia, Beirut, Moscow, fucking, don't even know, South Africa. How long is it? This was a bit, maybe about 10 years of travelling with this. Yeah. Fucking hell, man. That is intense. Yeah, literally what everywhere. A mad thing. Yeah, and all on the back of, you know, this. And what do you, I mean, how do you feel about graffiti now? Now that you've had such a big separation from it in terms of the everyday culture of it, how do you feel about it now? Do you look at it and think of it in any way or is it just something... Because I, I still see you as a writer. I don't, yeah. I, I don't think that's really changed. I know, maybe that's just our perception of it. We don't... No matter who you became in the street art world, I think to a lot of people in the graffiti world, you're still a writer. Yeah. Um, well, there's a rumour... And I don't know how true this rumour is, there's a rumour that some of us have started painting trains again. Oh, is it? And that would be ridiculous. That would be fucking nuts. <laughs> that would be absolutely <laughs> crazy. But, because the thing is, is you, you're right in saying, you know, it gets fucking boring and it gets to this point, and especially when you find another form, another way to be creative. Yeah. Like, no matter what, that, that seems to be the thing, whether it's graffiti or not, there's obviously something in us that makes us want to expel this energy through creativity... Graffiti you got bored of, and I can see why, but do you, 
do you see the excitement in it still? Can you can you look on the scene and think actually it was just that time I thought it was I've got to well, that point in my career. In the same it. way that you can now order a black cab on an Uber like app. Yeah. Graffiti's changed. Mm. You know, and people that initially got into or people initially that started collecting street art and they they didn't understand where street art came from they're now interested in well hold on what what, what how did street art evolve what why did, why did street art where 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 has it come from yeah so it's like it's like finding the beats and breaks out of hip hop yeah, yeah yeah so people are interested in you know where graffiti has come from well sorry where street art's come from and the more successful street artists without foul have all got a foot in graffiti mm. they all came out of a graffiti background like we did this show in LA at the uh, Museum of Contemporary Art in Los Angeles and I did an interview for that and I was like, every single person in this museum show that is still alive has been arrested for criminal damage without yeah. foul. Every yeah. single person. And it's because everyone in that show started off in graffiti. As a writer. It's not... So, I mean, what, what, is that not just your generation, though? Because I've got a bit of an... I, I've been thinking about it recently in terms of, you know, street artists, I don't think you become a street artist... Or, decide to become a street artist until you're over 18, 20 years old. Yeah. And graffiti, you start much younger, yeah. mid-teens. Well, nowadays, I like the younger, the younger street artists became street artists through going to college and studying graphic design. Yeah. Whereas the older street artists got into street art... Through graffiti. Through graffiti. Yeah. But do you see what I mean? I've got to nick this tape. Take it. Sorry. Um... There is definitely there's definitely a league of artists in the street art world that have come from that. Yeah. But it's really evolved its own scene completely yeah, yeah, now. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. It's got its own uh, history. Yeah. You know, street art didn't exist and it wasn't street art when I started doing it. No. And now it does exist. So now, you know, you could be a kid with a a fascination in art and likes bending the rules and go to your local fucking bookshop, pick up a book on street art and go, oh, wow, I'm going to do street art. That's the shit, yeah, yeah. Same way that, you know, I imagine to become a graffiti writer in New York in the fucking late 70s, early 80s, you had to live in the fucking, live in a shithole and be in a gang. Yeah, yeah. And ride the trains. Yeah, and ride the trains. And What did... Um, do you- Last few bits, but do you remember what it was called when you started doing this thing? Did you and Banksy have a name for the work you were producing? No. Stencil? <laughs> it was literally as simple as that, stencil and posters. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember when the street art term came about? It would have somewhere on the internet. Right. And got embraced, though. It did get embraced quite well. Well, unfortunately, you know, I don't particularly like the street art. But what the fuck else can you call it? Well, yeah, I mean, it is... You know, urban contemporary. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so the future, 
Mm-hmm. How's that looking? Is it just keep painting? Yeah. That's what, That's the main thing. Yeah, paint. Doesn't matter. Anything else doesn't matter. Yeah, as long as I can paint and do stuff, then it'll all be rosy. I don't know. What's the future? You know, a couple of years ago, we did a painting that we got photographed from space. Wow. <laughs> uh, you know, just carry on doing what I'm doing. You know, I don't have a plan. I've never really had a plan. Uh, yeah, carry on doing what happens. Well, yeah, carry on doing it. See what happens. Is that because... So, like, I, I don't really think of future too much because I'm, I think about um, as long as I'm me is the main yeah. thing. And I think, I suppose, that's one thing that by living this creative life, you get to know who you are. Yeah. So I suppose looking forward is nothing because it's just that like, as long as I'm me... Yeah. The me I like being, which is painting or whatever that is you do. Yeah, I suppose that's yeah, as long as I can, can ask for. Yeah, it? as long as I can carry on doing what I love doing, <clears throat> which is, you know, travelling, painting, m- catching up with old friends, making new friends, you know, experiencing different cultures, seeing different ways of life. You know, as long as I can carry on doing that and then, and, you know and some pound coins along the way, then uh, I'll be happy. What can you complain about? Can't. No, exactly. You can't, especially when you're doing this. Especially, do you know what I mean? You look around and you see all this other shit going and you're like, no, this is the stuff. Yeah. Um, You couldn't tell us what the S for up stood for, could you? It originally stood for, uh, for a minute, my tag was Sabo. Sabo. S-A-B-O. And I did a air rifle shooting for a while. Yeah. And there was a pellet, or well, I don't know what they're called, fucking the things you put in the yeah, rifle yeah. to shoot. And the brand, it was this weird pellet that was wrapped in plastic, had this plastic casing. And anyway, it was like some technical weird thing. And uh, the brand was uh, called Sabo, S A B O. And nobody else had a tag. I'd never heard of anybody. You know, there was a fucking a doze in every country and a yeah. mere one in every country. So I always wanted a tag that had never been used before. And uh, so I started writing Sabo. And then quite quickly I realised I hated it. <laughs> and everybody had a tag. And I wanted to stand out. And unless you were already well known or you had really amazing hand style, your tag in a wall of tags was never going to get noticed. So I didn't want a tag, I just wanted to throw up. Because my throw up in a wall of tags would stand out and get noticed. That throw up was so different to the others as well. Do you know, for coming from Kilburn and seeing it in Kilburn, and God knows how it was there, but it was there, (laughs) we always thought it was steam, SM. Yeah. <laughs> we thought it was steam for a long time. When I found out it was you, it was oh, fuck amazing. Um, ben, that was amazing, man. Sweet. I really appreciate that. I appreciate your time. And oh, cool. I enjoy the doing these kind of things. And it's, in, it's, it's being interviewed by people or with people. I say with people because it's, it's a two-way thing. Yeah. By, by somebody that knows London, knows graffiti and 
you know, and knows me. Yeah, it's a lot more interesting because otherwise you're just answering the same questions. Yeah. What's your favourite colour? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thank you very much. My pleasure. Amazing Sweet. Thing. Thank you. There we go again. Art Gang. Another dope conversation. A real trip through time now, hey? Those London 80s clubs, shops, meeting writers, fat cap struggles, train parties. I loved all of it. What a journey though, hey? And with all those names, crew friends, painting partners, flatmates, Ben knows London and its community. Those Amsterdam missions, the European journeys, the rack and paint, between window fraps, and then everything that happened after the Kings and Toys film. All of it dope. It's been amazing watching this Graffiti King, seeing what he's gone and done. He took the culture on fully. It was answering questions for him as a teenager and he just kept on asking. I really respect that job getting also, man. He locked into what he knew he needed and went for it. Working while setting yourself up is great planning. I know Ben's wasn't fully planned, but working hard for 12 years in the city whilst being himself gave him a great base to jump from when he started to look at art as a full-time prospect. Working's a good thing, man. It's also good training. I've done loads of shit jobs before I started this stuff. I remember Elk bringing me down to the print room at Pictures on Walls. Fully inspiring seeing Ben's workplace. He was really busy, so we didn't get to talk that afternoon. Just a little hello. But what I saw in that space that afternoon, I think it was really inspirational for what I ended up doing when I came back to London, come to think of it. Yeah, dope guy. Big up, Ben. We won. Our gang. Also, Ben mentioned a few people in that conversation who aren't with us anymore. Rest in peace, King Robbo. Rest in peace, King Rays. We'll never forget you guys. And all the rest of those soldiers, we know who you are. Well, look, I've got another two in the bag ready to drop over the next month. Until next time, go and check that website, f24podcast.com, where I'm putting up all the interviews and photos from the interviewees. Until next time, love your city and love your culture. This is F24.